You could stand for the reading of God's word if you're able, and we will read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. And I will read from the ESV. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. You can be seated. Amen. Thanks be to God. Brian and Kristen, we are thankful for your ministry among us, and Emily and John and Eliana, well done on the front row. I was like, bold move, perfect. I don't know if we'd leave the Shaw boys on the front row. I'm impressed. So what kind of thing is the church? You know, I suppose our culture, again, we talk about this a lot, but you come for 50 minutes and hear the lecture, and that's where it stops. And thankfully, that when we think of comparisons of the church or metaphors, that the Bible supplies us with a number of them. And the one I want us to think about here this morning is that of a body, that the church is like a human body. And why that's so powerful is because we all know, if we think of our own embodied existence, that my body is certainly one thing uh, that we would like to say often. I wish I could be in two places at once, but that's not true, that we only, all, all of us can only occupy one space, that I'm here and not there, uh, that the body is one thing. At the same time, that we know enough about our physiology, our anatomy, that we're quite complex that each one of our bodies as we walk around is made up of many and many, you know, many thousands of parts, really, if you think about even just the brain, one organ, how incredibly complex is the body? The point being, as Paul would say, as you gather as the people of God, you're like a human body insofar as you're one entity, but the health of that one entity is going to be dependent on the proper functioning of its constituent parts. And if you think about the body, say we have other concepts like this that we confront a lot. We don't think much about it. Well, maybe, maybe we do, but say today or even this weekend, you will watch a number of teams, as I will, a number of teams play. And you say a good team is playing in unison. The team's got to play together, and yet it's made up of a lot of parts. And the more that the team can get around that mindset of we're, we're one, made up of many, each doing their part, the better off the team's going to be. Or maybe, similarly, something like an orchestra. 
Uh, that when you watch an orchestra, you say, well, they're, they're doing one thing, but there's a, a lot of different things going on, and the more that they mesh, the better off that orchestra is going to be. But how much stronger even than that, even than a team, even than an orchestra, is a body? There were a body. And in order for a healthy, functioning body, I, I don't know about you, but to, to think about that, it's quite overwhelming to say, if we've got any shot at that, uh, to being what God would have us be in this little local expression of his, his body, our local church, then we've, we've got to have help from on high. In other words, it's got to be all of him and none of us. It's not something you can manufacture from the bottom up, but to be a healthy, functioning body is going to require a heavy dose of God's Holy Spirit, which is what we've been thinking about for the last couple of weeks. And some will ask, well, when you do a topical series, which we, we rarely do at Providence, and normally we do consecutive Bible preaching, so why then a five-week series on the Holy Spirit? And really it's prompted, as, as many things are in the sermon series, in my own um, ministry in the church. I've been asking the very personal question, is there anything different about my life? Um, that as I go and I have uh, things on my calendar this week, things planned, things non-planned, that I've got altercations, that I've got disagreements with Mallory, that I'm an imperfect dad, all the things that are a part of the... Am I any different? Uh, could, could a well-intentioned and a kind atheist live his life exactly as I do? What might be different about the way that I live my life? And the answer, I think, must be the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of those who are surrendered to Jesus and therefore the life of the Holy Spirit in the activity of the church. So we've really come to, I think, three foundational ministries of the Spirit of God. So this by way of review, but it's so important. The first one that we've seen from God's Word is that all Christ followers receive the indwelling of God's Holy Spirit. That the moment that we become a Christ follower, uh, that at that moment we've seen our own sin, right? We say, well, actually, I'm part of the problem here. Uh, that I, I, I look and I, I'm sent, I, I receive a conviction of sin, which is a work of God, to say I'm, I'm, I'm not a, a good, perfect person, but I, I stand guilty in God's courtroom. And I'm able to see that what happened on the cross in Jesus, uh, that the blood of Jesus is good for me. And we receive Jesus. Uh, we say yes to him, that, that he's, he's the king. And at that moment, we receive the Holy Spirit of God. So, for example, in our reading, verse 3 of chapter 12, um, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, that makes perfect sense, right? That if you're going around this world and you have somebody who you know, doesn't know about these things, what would it take for that person to say, Jesus of Nazareth is king of the universe. He's the king of all kings. I believe he's in control. Say so that's a work of God breaking in. So all Christ followers receive the indwelling of God's Holy Spirit. And what this must mean then is there are multiple tiers of being Christ followers. Now, sure, there's a maturation process, which we're going to talk about next week, that we call sanctification. We grow in our faith, but it's not as if you have, well, you've got some Christians and they don't have the Holy Spirit, and then other Christians have the Holy Spirit, but they've not quite arrived yet. But then there's the real Christians, and, and they have the Holy Spirit, and we see, uh, you know, that, that they speak in tongues, and, and they're really the ones we say. There's nothing like that in the Bible. Uh, it's rather when we put our faith in Jesus we receive the Spirit of God. Secondly, the Holy Spirit, this by way of preface comments, the main ministry of the Holy Spirit is to remind us of the sufficiency of the Lord Jesus, who we are in Christ. 
In other words, we'll talk more about this, but sometimes people say, well, there's a real spiritual person because they're doing weird things. You say, that's not the, the main thing that Jesus says, right? Not, not at all, really. Jesus says, the Holy Spirit reminds you of, of what I've done for you. Uh, put a little bit differently, to say the Spirit of God reinforces the Word of God. Jesus is the Word of God, so they work together. It reminds us of the truthfulness of the Scriptures. When we read the Bible throughout the week, what's giving us apprehension of that, or we'd say illumination of what it says, is the work of the Holy Spirit. In other words, here we go in this life, you know, we're doing our own thing, and then all of a sudden the Spirit of God kicks in and says, that's not who you are. You're a follower of Jesus. He died on the cross for you. You surrender to him. You're in his kingdom. You've got important work to do as an ambassador. That's the work of the Spirit. In other words, reinforcing who we are, the centrality of the ministry of Jesus. The Spirit of God never is off drawing attention to himself. Say, here I am, the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God always is pointing us to Jesus and the Word of God. And then third preface, comment, and foundational truth that we've seen that there are a number of phrases in the Bible um, that are commands to the Christ follower, and uh, I'll say them and then we'll unpack them. For example, we want to be, from Acts, filled with the Spirit. We want to walk with the Spirit. We want to be led by the Spirit. We want to keep in step with the Spirit. We want to have our mind on the Spirit. Now, all of these, you see, some, sometimes, even though filled with the Spirit is only used rarely in Scripture, people grab onto that word filled, and they, they think, well, the Holy Spirit must be like a liquid. Um, you know, if we need to be filled, and then we leak out, we've got to go around and try to find how, how the liquid becomes, you know, comes back into the vessel, and I, I, a temporary buzz, and now, now I'm filled back with the Holy Spirit. Rather, we say the Holy Spirit's a person. He's, he's not a, a gas, he's not a, a liquid, he's not a force, he's a he. And if we accept the fact that when we're Christians, we receive the Spirit, then all of these phrases, what they boil down to is, if I had to say, is it's really about control. Who's in control of the life of the Christ follower? Now, my default position, the way that I came into this world was something like this. I'm going to do what feels good for me. And if anybody else gets in the way, I can use them or I can run over them. But I'm going to do what I want to do to make myself happy now. And interestingly, the culture feeds that impulse, doesn't it? Have you, have you been struck by all the advertisements? See, that's where my years in English, I, England, I almost said advertisements. Advertisements. Uh, the, the advertisements now really cater to your own wishes. You know, it doesn't matter whether it's fast food or whatever. You deserve what you want. Do what feels good for you. You know, everybody else, don't, don't allow them to, to steer you in any kind of direction. In other words, the culture, the messaging is, is so much against this uh, that really that we're to do what we want to do. And, and instead, the language of filled with the Spirit, walk with the Spirit, is, is that God should be in control. That I'm to yield my life my decisions and my interactions to God's Spirit working in me. And you can say, well, does that sound very exciting? Well, actually what it does is it heightens the Christian life because now all of a sudden all of our work engagements, all of our relationships take on this wonderful supernatural element of God guiding us and using us. So it's about yielding ourselves to the Spirit, as Caleb, I think, wonderfully said, not that we would get more of the Spirit, but rather that He would get more of us, that He's in the driver's seat. So once again, what we know for sure about the Holy Spirit, every Christian has Him indwelling inside us. The Holy Spirit directs us 
to the sufficiency of Jesus. The Spirit of God points to the Word of God. And thirdly, that we're to increasingly yield control to God's Spirit so that we can have a bigger kingdom impact. Now, what does that mean for the church then, the church corporate? If that's at the individual level, what about our church? In 1 Corinthians 12, we learn that the Spirit gives His people gifts for the edification of the church. That over and again in this passage and in others, we see that the same Spirit, the one Spirit, the only Holy Spirit, endows Christ followers with special capacities, shall we say, for the explicit purpose of building up the other people in this room, and we'll include the nine o'clock folks too, but you get the idea, right? For the ministry to the other members of this church. Now, I must say before we get started that in 1 Corinthians 12, you'll notice this is one of the issues with topical sermon that we're in an epistle now. You see, Paul's addressing a Corinthian misunderstanding. That's why it starts now concerning. They've written him, and he learns that they're in a mess, that they don't understand at all what's going on, that they're abusing the gift of tongues. And so this is offered as a corrective on a specific instance in Corinth. However, Paul offers some timeless truths about the importance of gifts in the church family, that gifts are good and that gifts are important. And whenever he mentions them, you'll see in your notes, uh, on a handful of occasions, when Paul talks about spiritual gifts, often right next to it in the text is this idea of the body. So 1 Corinthians 12 that we read, you'll notice the very next section in your English Bible is on the body. In Romans 12, he talks about spiritual gifts, and guess what else is there? The idea of the body. In Ephesians 4, he says, well, I've given certain speaking, people with uh, speaking offices. You know, I've done that for the sake of the health of the body. So gifts are always with an eye to serving one another, never to say, hey, look at me off on my own, you know, exercising my gift. No, a spiritual gift is used for the church. And I wonder in this vein, if I may say a quick word about membership, um, I'm sometimes surprised, you know, people come up and say, well, why would I ever be a member of the church? Um, don't I get the same benefits if I'm just an attender? You know, and I think what's happening there is that we have this notion of, you know, we, we be, be a member of Providence like we'd be a member of Lakewood Country Club. Like you've got levels of membership, and if you get this kind of membership, you play this many rounds of golf. You know, does this membership pass actually get me anything, Pastor? And I would say, I, I don't think that's the right view of church membership. That think of member in terms of, of the body, that if I, in an accident, lost one of my arms, that we have a word for that, we'd say he's been dismembered. In other words, that membership in a body is not like admission into a club. Rather, it's a realization I've been grafted in with other local believers in this time and this place for a short purpose that I've been given gifts to serve this group of people. And if I fail somehow, to carry out what God has given me the way that I've been called to serve, then this body really, in a, in, a, in, a, in a real way, would be less whole, would be, in a sense, dismembered. To disconnect the gifts and the body would be a great abuse to the text. What am I trying to say? Paul mentions gifts for the body, always in conjunction, to be used for one another. Now, what about these lists? That Paul will mention lists a number of times, you know, Paul in the New Testament, and I think we make a mistake if we just say, well, you know, is this all of them and not any others? That we're not even told how many spiritual gifts they are. Uh, that in other words, I, don't, I think we, we do a disservice if we try to get too exact 
on what they are. Rather, I'd have us focus in on verses five and six of our four, five, and six of our text. Look at how he will change language. So now there are a variety of gifts. Verse five, varieties of service, and verse six, a variety of activities. So I think we do well earlier this morning, I think it was the NASB that will talk about the word working. So I think we do well to see those different words, that there are gifts, there are acts of service, that there are activities, that there are workings, that God gives his people for the explicit purpose, verse 7, for the sake of the common good in the church. Now, what about them? You say, well, you know, I never thought of myself as a particularly spiritual person. I mean, the, certainly the clergy, you know, they're the spiritual people, but what about me? If you look at all the, the gifts, I think you'll find them refreshing. You know what's among them? 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 28. It's kind of, maybe you're surprised by this, but administration. Administration's a spiritual gift. So this week, you're going around your your workplace, you know, and you've got some process people, and, you know, they're working their Excel sheets, and I bet it never occurred to you to say, well, there's a real, that's a spiritual person working those spreadsheets right there. So we don't think of it that way. And yet, if you bring that into the church, you say, well, actually, that's a vitally important role. I mean, can you all imagine if it was only Pastor Patchinger and I around here? Say, we, we'd have a lot of fun, but nothing would get done, you know? We'd pretty soon just be the two of us, not much process. So the church is reliant on good administration for the healthy functioning of the family. Who wants to be a part of a church that like, can't keep track of its finances? But to keep track of the finances of a complex organization like the church takes some real skill. And God, in his kindness, has brought us someone like Sarah Miracle and Sue Kiesel, who are gifted in those areas. What about others like discernment is a spiritual gift again you might think you know i judging what the right thing to do is is that a spiritual but we know shaw is preaching from the scriptures now that's a spiritual but discerning the right judgments say absolutely a church needs people who can make right judgments how about something as seemingly seemingly mundane as helping Say, what a valuable resource in a church to be identified as someone who helps others, who, who's a galvanizer, who can move the team, who can come along and assist. You know what? I see you're working alone there. How can I help? That is a spiritual giving. Some in our church, God has given you the ability to make a lot of money. And in December, do you sit or say, well, God's really blessed us this year, but what can I do with this non-spiritual thing in my life? You say, no, giving to the church is a highly spiritual activity, uh, that it is a gift that you've been given for the sake of the edification of the church. I, 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 to, to put it more provocatively, to look again at verse 4 of chapter 12, that the word there for gifts is charismata. He uses that word, word routinely. Now, some of you know why I say that, because you know you have this idea that, well, you know those charismatic churches, you know, they... They, uh, you know, they're really, really spiritual people. They, they speak in tongues and are doing all this stuff, and, and we don't do any. Those are the spiritual people, and all of us down here, you know, we just do a lot of administration and helping and discernment and teaching and so forth. Say, no. 
that we, in a real way, are, are, we're a spiritual people. May I say it provi- again? Provi- we're a charismatic church insofar as we wholeheartedly believe that every member of this church has received the Holy Spirit, has been given a gift for the edification of the body, that that gift comes from God, and therefore you're a spiritual person to be serving in a spiritual capacity as God outlines. Now, one of the great problems in what I've been saying in Corinth and in our time and place is the tendency in the human mind to prioritize um, different gifts. To say something like, well, we all know that teaching is more important than, than these administrative tasks, and we begin to form this hierarchy, and Paul is arguing strongly against that. He, he would say to start playing the game of ordering the importance of the members and the spiritual gifts is actually something a child would do. And if you just take a moment, I could talk many weeks about this, but I just want you to think of our own church for a moment. You know, every Monday, sometime midday, Sandy, who's already been mentioned, I know, uh, so David Borm and I both independently wanted to mention you today. So thank you, Lord. Sandy and her daughter Natalie come in and replenish the things that we consume and make a mess of in that kitchen. Now, let's just say that every, you know, week you come, you're the kind of, you know, every week you've been coming for, I've been coming four years, and I like my tea, and I say, okay, here's my mint tea, and now after four years, I've, I've had over 200 mint teas, and you think, you know, isn't this grand? You know, every week I have a tea, and every week it's full. How does this happen? Because God gave us someone who, who wants to serve in that way behind the scenes for the benefit of many of us. You know, do, do any of you know the name Chris Fife? You know, Chris serves many hours in the children's ministry doing the administration, of which there is a ton. Uh, multiple volunteers in the room, getting the right kids in the right classrooms, the curriculum, getting it all set up. You say, it's an immense task. It's immense uh, volunteerism. Uh, we all want a good children's ministry. Who's going to do it? Thank you, Lord, that you have brought us a Chris Fife, who would serve behind the scenes. How about the ladies... Maybe there are men too, I should know, but who prepare the communion. Say, last week, we now, large church family, serving communion and, uh, and the bread. Uh, who's doing that? Uh, hypothetically, Shaw goes long in the first service, hypothetically. And, uh, you know, you, you've got a quick turnaround. You, you've got to get the communion back in for the second hour. Who, who does that? We all want communion, don't we? Somebody else will do it. Thank you, Lord. The Christmas decorations, you say it'd be nice, you know, I'm, I'm quite a Puritan, but I do like Christmas decorations in December, you know, the trees will go up, you say, well, Shaw must do it on Monday, you say, no, thank goodness, no, a team comes in. The point being is that if we, we, we don't want to be the kind of church that fails to see that a, a good church and a healthy church requires people using their gift behind the scenes in a seemingly non-visible way for the, the sake of loving everyone else that that's what a healthy church does. So there's no superiority in the gifts, that we've all been given gifts, and we're all to use them for the edification of one another. All right, second main point here, no doubt that you see in the, in the gifts that, I've, that we've talked about here this morning in 1 Corinthians 12, that some of them, you know, the ones that I've mentioned so far, seem very, what shall we say, well, everyday things, helping, administration, teaching. We get our minds around that. 
But what about these others? I mean, miracles and healing and speaking in tongues. What about those? Where are those in our church? And if I may make two, two comments on this front, and then we'll, we'll talk a little more in depth on tongues. The first consideration is this. We live in a desacralized age. Given the opportunity, every societal impulse is to squeeze God and the miraculous out of anything. It's to take majestic things and divine things and supernatural things and exciting things and make them boring and dull and human. That's the societal impulse. What are you talking about? Well, some months ago, I sat down with a doctor at the Cleveland Clinic. We were talking about his med school experiences. And well, we started with, um, I guess it would be obstetrics, but, or, or how, how a child is conceived. Interesting, first unit at med school at Wright State. And he said, it's stunning how many things in sequence, an alarming amount of things need to happen in sequence for a healthy baby to be conceived. Now, you can look at that and say, evolution, another day at the office, nothing special there. Or you can say, that's amazing. That's a miracle. And I pray that the church in one year from September 1 to September 1, say our church has received 24 of those miracles. So do we cheapen it and see natural processes? Or do we see the hand of God blessing our congregation in miraculous ways? How about healing? You know, every week I'm in the prayer meeting, you, 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 almost always Wednesday night, every week there are people who, who pray for healing. They're having surgeries. They've had an accident. And I will tell you, uh, not always, but most of the time, the, the people in the church that we pray for they, they, are, they are, are healed most of the time. Sometimes with medicine, sometimes not, but oftentimes they are restored to health. Again, you can say just natural processes, nothing special going on. Or you can say God's hand uh, has really healed us in a way that only could have come from him. Uh, or just the body's ability to heal. Have you ever thought about that? I remember some years ago I had a friend who got in a bad motorcycle accident and broke his ribs. And uh, talking to him, he said, well, how do the ribs heal? If you think about it, the ribs are cracked, and you can't keep the ribs still because we breathe. And so uh, how are they going to heal? And, and what, what he said was actually they begin to, you know, form kind of softer, I don't know, I guess it wouldn't be tissue or, or cartilage or whatever it would be, but a kind of softer tissue begins to grow across and slowly reconnect the ribs so it gives just a little bit until over time the rib can completely ossify. And I said, well, that's a pretty good design. <laughs> and uh, so, well, yeah, I guess it is a pretty good design. In other words, do you see the body's ability to heal, to recover in amazing times, things that are there on a scan and then gone from a scan? You could say just the way that it went, or you could say God works in this way. So that's one consideration. Don't allow our desacralized age that cheapens and makes everything boring rob the church from real, real miracles and real uh, amazing things that happen in our lives and in our bodies. Second consideration, that people tend to think that um, big miracles happened with uniformity in the ancient world and now they never happen. And that's actually not true in the Bible. That the miracles are clustered in sections. So the Exodus, say, there's signs and wonders. Then you, you fast forward many hundreds of years to Elijah and Elisha. It seems there's a, an outpouring of miraculous activity, certainly with Jesus and the first generation of apostles. In other words, that God seems to grant certain gifts to his people for specific times, and then there can be stretches of times where, where he gives them different gifts. 
Uh, so those things before you, I will now just say a quick word on tongues. What about tongues? Why doesn't anyone at Providence, you know, in the assembly speak in tongues? Well, this is why. That the Corinthians thought that tongues were the sign of being a real Christian. Uh, as I said before, you could be a Christian, but until you speak in tongues, you're not really a Christian. And Paul's offering a corrective against that. He's saying, no, that is not the case. And he gives us two chapters, 13 and 14, of, of when and why God would use the gift of tongues and why there's a better way. So no doubt that God has used the gift of tongues, that Paul had the gift of tongues. But his point is, in chapter 14, you, don't, you, could, you could turn there if you want one page, but he's saying all of us should strive to speak in a language that is comprehensible by everyone in the assembly. So, for example, verse 12 of chapter 14, all should strive to excel in building up the church. You do that with language that everyone can understand, or verses 18 and 19. Paul himself speaks in tongues, evidently privately, as a language to God. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So you say there, it's hard to you know, have a, a nail-down argument, but that's pretty close, isn't it? Uh, we, we don't speak in tongues here because it's so much better to speak in a way where everyone understands. And we live in a time where all of us have multiple Bibles and we can all build each other up in that truth. And so that's why we focus on God's word and building each other up in a way that everyone in the assembly can understand. And that tongues, insofar as some people have been given that gift, I have not, is really a private uh, prayer language before God, as 1 Corinthians 14 says. Now, if you want to talk more about that. I'm very glad to do so. I see Tom Mason here today. Tom has written a number of thoughtful papers on this kind of topic. I'm sure he'd love to talk with you. So the point is, the point that Paul is making in these three chapters is that we should desire to use the gifts we've been given for the sake of building up the entire church family to the glory of God. So last point, and this is really where the tension, the tension comes. God's people are expected to serve one another. So why don't we all serve? I think on the one hand, it's a priority issue. Well, in a busy season of life, you see, uh, my kids need me a lot, and we've got traveling sports, and uh, you, me using my gifts in the church is just, is just not that important to me. And, and if you're in that camp, all that I ask you to do is read these chapters of Scripture, go over the sermon notes, and say it's not what Shaw is saying. Uh, the question is, What's it mean to be part of the church? What's God saying? And if I say I'm a member of a church, but I don't love and serve the other people, then I've got some real prayer and self-reflection to do. Um, if it's not priorities, I think it could be an, a, a sense that someone else will do it. There have been many studies on this over the years that the, the larger a church becomes, the same amount of people or fewer serve. And the way the mind seems to work is to say, well, now that there are more people, they don't need me. Uh, somebody else will do it. Uh, we want a good children's ministry. Somebody else will teach it. Church work day, we like the flowers out front. Somebody else will plant them. We want to have good Bible studies, you know, midweek and not just be a, a group of people that meets on Sunday. Somebody else will do it. I'd really like to know other people on a more intimate basis, but I, I'm not joining a small group or serving in that way. I'm not going to have anybody into my house. Well, Providence Church has, I'm sure, a lot of people that got plenty of resources. They don't, they don't need mine. I'm not going to give. And I hope we can see that there's something deeply flawed in that mindset. 
rather to say, wait a second, I've received Jesus. He's my king. I've received the Spirit. I've been given a gift. I'm to use that gift to build up this church family and shame on any church leadership that gives the impression of, we don't need you here. There's no place for you to serve here. Say, that's on us. And today's really a conversation of saying, how can all of us use our spiritual gifts to build each other up in, in a, a mutual effort? So you're asking, well, how do I know what to do? Uh, and again, it need not be overly onerous. I'm thinking of one area of the church with some regularity. It could be something like, I'm going to attend the prayer meeting on Wednesday night once a month to pray for the people who are ill in the church. So it would be a wonderful thing to do. Well, well, this year we will join a small group, or this, we, we, we will make an effort to teach a quarter in children's ministry, whatever it would be. Uh, I, I will make an effort. You know, how do those Christmas decorations get done? I've got some extra time. Maybe I need to do that. A whole host of ways to serve. And I ask myself this question, or I think these are a number of good questions, but what things do I do well? Where do I have a natural aptitude from God that the Spirit works in conjunction with our personalities? What do I enjoy? Where do I have experience? What abilities are God's people affirming in me? Maybe something like, what does the church need? And where these intersect, you might say, get real clarity on this is, this is why I'm here and this is how I'm going to serve, even if it's a behind-the-scenes task. You know, a guy named Yehudi Menuhin, he was a famous maestro of an orchestra. Uh, he once, in an interview, he, he said this. He said, I, I knew instinctively that to play was to be. And I think what that meant, at least as people digested that quote, he said, well, I, he was saying, you know, I really felt that I was meant to lead this orchestra, and when we would play together, that was really, really living. And I think that's the way that spiritual gifts in the church are somewhat described. That You say, I've been brought to this local church, I have a short period of time, I've been given gifts, I want to serve my family. And as you serve in that capacity, you'll have a sense of God's joy and God's blessing, not to say that it's always easy, but say, yes, I, I am deeply gratified using my spiritual gift for the sake of God's people in this time and this place. So, closing remarks, some in the room, you serve a ton. The Pareto principle, 20% of you doing 80% of the work, way to go. May God affirm you, keep serving. Uh, others of you, you're members of the church, and uh, I hope this, you know, gets you to think a little bit. Um, what am I doing here? Do I just go hear the talk? No wonder it's unsatisfied. Maybe I need to serve more. And maybe you're not a Christ follower here today. I'm very glad you're here. We always have non-Christ followers here on a Sunday, and you're not a Christian, but you're, you're listening to this, and you say, isn't the, if you just think of, of what the church is, called by God, surrendered to Christ, isn't there a part of you, like that song we sing, that my heart is longing for something, is there something in you, said, I'd love to be a part of a family that sees King Jesus as the authority, coming under our gentle shepherd, building each other up in love and grace, where everybody's got a part to play, that nobody is, is, is dispensable, wouldn't that be great if there was something like that? Say, yes, it should be a properly functioning, healthy church made up of real Christ followers. And today's your day to say, you know what? I'm a sinner and I need Jesus and I receive him. And I say yes to him. I want to follow him and represent him. So that before you, may we continue to think throughout the week and we'll, we'll sing our final hymn. Loving Father, we begin today with a confession of, of, of maybe a wrong idea here of gifts in the church. And that maybe we're guilty of, of thinking somebody else will do it or I'm too busy or um, this isn't important to me. 
And, and in the meantime, what we've done is we've stuffed our spiritual gift, that we realize the Holy Spirit's given us something to use for the sake of the church, and we say, well, I'm not doing that. And so, Lord, forgive us if, if that is true of us. And in the same vein, Lord, help us open our eyes to how we might serve, even in a small way, this church family, that there are thousands of interactions every week, thousands of ways to be a blessing to one another. Help us to find just the right fit, and that as we do, that you would pour out your grace and your joy as we would be uh, doing what we're called to do. And Lord, again, for anyone in here who doesn't know Jesus in a personal way, that I pray that by your spirit that you would break in, that you would exchange their, as we all had, an, an old heart, a stony heart, with a new heart of flesh that's receptive to you, and that today, the 22nd of October, would be a great, a great birthday of sorts, a birthday of being born again and a follower of Jesus. Commit ourselves in this church family to you afresh. May Christ be magnified. 